Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. Hi everyone, welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I'm the author of the recovery blog, Unpickled. I tell my story of sobriety there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And today's guest is someone who you might never expect to struggle if you ran into her uh, on the street or in the lineup at school dropping off her kids. She's beautiful. She's married to a handsome athlete. She has two adorable children, and she and her husband own several successful businesses. So she kind of looks like the girl that has it all, and she's sweet and funny and nice to boot. But in recovery, we learn not to compare our insides with others' outsides. And when you hear her story, you'll realize that even the people we might envy have private struggles of their own. So I invite you to the show today my friend Courtney. Courtney, hi. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Dean. Thank How you for you? being on today. I know you're not like super thrilled to be here because <laughs> <laughs> I know you love the show, but I know you're nervous. So uh, I I really appreciate that you would, in spite of your nerves, be willing to come and, and talk to me about your story. Oh yeah, thank you. I I know I get so nervous just even just talking or doing any sort of interviews. I'm actually really shy, so it's this is a big deal for me, but I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And um and I know our listeners will too because I think most of us could just sit all day and just hear each other's stories. You know, I just I wish there was just, you know, I wish there was just a way for us all to just kind of hold hands while we do this, but um, it is really, there's so much power in telling our stories. And so even when it's hard to do, um, it starts to feel good after a little while. So hopefully I can make you yeah. comfortable yeah. while you share. Um, but I just want to give you a few minutes here as we start off to just tell us a little bit about yourself and about um, your journey so far and, and you know how you found yourself in a place where you decided and, and knew you needed to make a change. Okay, sure. Um, well, I, I was well. I can start off like sort of what I was born with. Um, my right hand wasn't developed properly, so I'm missing all my fingers on my right hand, and that was caused by amnioband syndrome. So I every I can't really. I was trying to think when I when I recall being aware that I was different from others. And I think it was probably around grade three. And I sort of started to really go inside and become quite critical of myself. So I just started, like, probably like anybody living with a disability, I started to really hide my hand because, God forbid, I didn't want anyone to see that I was different from others. And I remember just, becoming sort of really obsessed with my appearance probably around grade six or seven 
and just realizing that I wasn't what I thought. Well, of course, I wasn't perfect. That was what I told myself. So I had to achieve perfection in other ways. So I think that's kind of when my eating disorder really amped up was about end of grade seven going into high school. I remember just obsessing over what I ate and what I put in my body and, you know, starting to exercise too much. And I was just completely, it just became a total hamster wheel of thinking about how I looked all the time. Uh, So that was kind of, that brought, that was pretty much all of high school. I, it was just thinking about, you know, I don't know. I like, so I guess it was just a self-hatred, really. I just thought of myself as completely not worthy. I thought I looked at everybody else and thought they had it all together, and I was this mutant because of my hand. I guess that was what how it all started. So just the perfectionism got really out of control. Um, like naturally, I'm a real introvert, so I was always really affected by other people's energy. So being in crowds, like I would just get tons of anxiety, and I just didn't really know why that would be. And of course, I always felt like I was so different. But now, knowing now, I just know that I'm just a highly sensitive person, and I'm actually grateful for that now. But back then, it was it felt like a real burden. I had a hard time really connecting and making like lasting friendships just because I would get pretty overwhelmed in situations and ha- and have to go sort of be by myself. But yeah, I mean, did you I do you want me to talk about when I sort of like when the al- when the alcoholism sort of came in to when I noticed it or Yeah, talk about that. When what age were you when you started drinking and when did what did that look like, and did it shift, or was it always kind of a weird relationship with alcohol? Um, yeah, like during high school, I never drank because I was very, um, like I said, I was obsessed with like eating healthy, and of course, alcohol had calories because I had no interest in that. So I really didn't start. I was a bit of a late bloomer, so I didn't really start drinking until my twenties. I remember going to, I moved to um, a ski town when I was about 20 to live with my cousin. And I remember drinking there. And I remember one night I got just like totally wasted and completely blacked out. I tended to be a bit of, when I was younger, I would definitely black out. I feel like alcohol hit me really fast compared to my other friends. But um, yeah, and then I didn't, I sort of went in and out. Like, I was always a really disciplined person, probably because of, like, the eating disorder and the exercising. I always kept myself at a certain level of control. Even when I was at my worst in drinking, I always had this weird, I could pull myself back, like, really, really fast. But I think it got, like, I got married um, when I was about 20, when I was 25, and we... Of course, we drank wine. My husband drank wine, and I would drink wine with him, and it was good and fine. And just you know, every night we'd have we could I could have a couple glasses of wine. But it got I think it was until after I had my daughter that I just the heaviness of being a parent and just I don't. It was almost like everything from my own childhood came 
rushing in, like wounds that I hadn't dealt with were just sort of like glaring me in the face and my anxiety really, really amped up. But it wasn't until my second child was born that I got where I think it really, really hit me where I just, and it was probably splitting my mind between these two little people and then myself. It just became, I just became just totally anxiety ridden. It was awful. I was really, really fragile. And alcohol, of course, worked at first. You know, it would really take the edge off. But for me, because I think always sort of hiding my hand and the shame of that, I had a lot of shame attached to drinking, even from a young age, because we always had open conversations in my family about alcoholism because one of my family members really, really struggled. So I I really knew the the trail of pain that alcohol could leave because I watched my dad's sister go through it. So even every time I drank, I always had that gnawing feeling like, Oh, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. Right. But I didn't really connect with me having a problem until it got to the point where I was, I, I got to the point where I preferred just to drink alone. Even if we were going out with friends, I would, I would drink before or have a few drinks just to, just to like settle down my anxiety. It must be, was social anxiety of just anticipating going out with people. And then I really wouldn't drink much when I was out socially, but then I would, pref- I would come and drink by myself. So that's sort of when I kind of was thinking, this isn't right. This is, there's something not right about this. And I started doing really strange things like I would I would drink a glass of wine and then I would pour the rest of the wine out of the bottle down the drain and I would think oh I'm never going to drink again and you know that's it and then of course later would then open another bottle of wine have a have a glass of wine and then I would pour the wine down the drain it was just it was really really weird and that was right at the end when I quit but it was Mm -hmm. it was just it was almost, it really mimicked my eating disorder. I became really obsessed and it was like I was protecting myself because of course I didn't want to drink any more alcohol because I knew it was causing like bad things obviously in my life. I was anxiety, depression, and, but I would, uh, but I just couldn't, couldn't stop. I don't know. Like it's, I think of it now and I just think it's just so weird why I was doing that, like pouring it down the drain, but then drinking more later, but never really, I was never really getting wasted, but I was just like trying to take the edge off of my anxiety all the time. And that's really, and I was using alcohol to do that. I think that's such a double-edged sword. Like the way you describe it sounds so familiar to me. It's very similar to my pattern. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people that drink to self-medicate anxiety find that similarity in that like it seems to work and so you keep doing it but then as it shifts by the time you realize oh no this isn't working at all in fact it's making things worse by that time you're sort of maintaining um like even a low grade addiction maintenance um increases anxiety and then here's what's interesting about your story is like the same sensitivity that made you need to numb and sort of calm yourself 
is also, I think, served you very well in that it also made you aware. Um, yeah. Right? Like yeah. You, so it's a, it's so funny how it's just not black and white for so many people. And I think that's why a lot of people think they, this can't be a problem. Like, I know better, and I look, I can control it. I can pour a bottle down the drain. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's all trying to impose controls. And then... Like that only, it seems like, look how strong I am. I can pour this bottle down the drain. And then you open another one. So what the heck is uh, the point of that, right? But well, I totally I get have, that. Yeah. I have a question and for you. Was, about the, was, your, your eating disorder, okay, Courtney, okay. did you receive treatment for that? Or do you think that it sort of just transferred to other behaviors? Uh, you know, I went to a counselor when I was in grade 8, to talk to somebody, but you know, it was kind of the same old story. I feel like I could fool her. Like she would sort of talk to my parents and say, you know, she's so together and she's, you know, she's fine. She understands what's going on and blah, blah, blah. But looking, yeah, it's funny. Like I think it helped me and I, my eating disorder was a little bit different than say the classic anorexia or what have you. I was, I would eat a lot of food, but I was just sort of, I would, you know, eat no fat, like all vegetables. I remember eating like tons of brown rice, but I wouldn't eat after three o'clock and then I would exercise at night and in the morning and things like that. I could read cookbooks. I could tell you what was in a banana and orange, just silly things like that. But it was, you know, I started kind of falling behind my peers in school at about, in about grade five, like I had a bit of a problem with my eyes where it was, it was missed. I had a focusing problem. So I was really having to work extra, extra hard to read and to be able to take in the information. But so I really, and then along with my hand and everything else, it was almost like I grabbed a lifeline and the sort of like nutrition and exercise and stuff like that was something that I could focus on and sort of feel in control. It was because everything else in my life felt totally out of control. Like I felt I was so different. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Why was this harder for me than other people? But through it all, I appeared very together. I'm sure all my friends thought I was getting, you know, straight A's and you know, the perfect family looking perfect. But on the inside, I was just completely dying I was just crumbling so in a way I look at my it's a weird way of looking at it but the nutri- the obsession with nutrition and exercise really kind of saved me at that point because I didn't I didn't go the drug way at that point or the drugs and alcohol way at that point I was sort of like trying to find something that I could just use to feel normal do you, do you does that make sense totally makes sense and I, like I think at that age, uh, young young women, I I think a lot are looking for things to control, and so for some of them that becomes promiscuity because you know their life messages have taught them that they could control a relationship or control a man, or they feel very powerful by being able to have male attention, and so sometimes that translates into promiscuity, and then that blows up because. You know, society doesn't like that. Um, we want mm-hmm. girls to look, like, hot and put all this pressure on women to look a certain way. But God forbid they act on that because, boy, oh, boy, are they going to get punished socially for that. It's, like, impossible yeah. to wait. 
And then, you know, they could, like you say, go the route of of partying and <clears throat> going that way. And that can not only have, like, self-induced problems, but there's social repercussions for that, too. And, it like, it strikes me that young women who... Um, like these are all maladaptive coping strategies for the pain of not feeling right within yourself, and like you say, like needing help and needing needing to fix something, needing to control something. And I feel like they, as a young woman, if they go the route of eating disorder or kind of that like overachieving perfectionism, driven by self-loathing both of those things kind of get rewarded in a lot of ways. And then that really mm-hmm. sends a message because even though, you know, you're trying to fix a hurt inside, you're doing something that hurts yourself more, and it's very confusing because on some ways it feels like a relief, and then you get all this positive reinforcement. People tell you, you look so good, you're so skinny, or, you know, there's all this mm-hmm. social reinforcement, but then there's still a part of your brain that's like, what's wrong with me? Why why do I still hate myself, you know? And, yeah, it, was, and it never is enough. because it's never enough. And then, ironically, you know, you had someone in front of you that maybe could have helped you in the form of a counselor, but that controlling part of you was, like, so mixed up and protecting that you even kind of, like, um, like well, held that Yeah, off. like I wasn't really able to say... I wasn't really able to articulate what I was struggling with because at the time I didn't even really know. Totally, I didn't really yeah. know. I didn't know about my eye problem until later, like until later in a, at about 20. So it was like I just didn't. And, of course, at the time I was completely abusing myself, right? Like I didn't have any self-care. I wasn't didn't know about self-care. So I'm getting up at four in the morning and I'm exercising and then I'm going to school and then I'm thinking like, why am I so tired? Well, obviously, you know, yeah. I'm, and I'm not eating properly. I'm not eating enough fat. I'm not eating enough calories. And I mean, of course, and when you're not eating enough calories, I mean, a person with perfect vision can go blurry. So at the time I just was like burning the candle at both ends. I, anytime I just, I wasn't able, if I wasn't feeling good, I never would just lay down and be quiet with myself. I was like getting up and causing myself more anxiety. I just honestly, I couldn't be alone with myself for two seconds. It was awful. It was, it was like complete torture. And that, I yeah. mean, that, I still struggle with that today. I mean, I've got yeah. even just, just to be able to like be kind to myself and know like just take it easy. Like you don't have to do a thousand things at once because it just makes everything worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard thing. Like when you when you're like, oh, meditation helps. Oh, yoga helps. And when you're in that fearful place of like, that's the last thing I want to do. You know, that would mean I'd have to like be quiet with myself. Like no effing way. I don't want to hear those voices in my head. That's why I stay busy. Yeah. So I don't have to listen to them. But then, yeah, it really, if we force ourselves, it really does help. Like it really does. It's funny, you know. I oh. I went to my counselor last week because my anxiety has really kicked up in the last little while, and um, probably because my dad is quite ill, and and um, you know what we try to be power through in our life finds other ways to get our attention, and um, so anyway, I was I was uh, in my therapist's office, and she's like. 
and I was saying how, you know, like there's this little girl inside of me that wants to burst into tears all the time. And I like <laughs> so much effort into just keeping a lid on it. And she she was like, well, what would it take for you to just like let her out right here? Like, you know, this is probably a good place for that to happen. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, no, I don't like. I, to me, it just seems like the worst possible thing. Like, no, like I, I feel like if I ever let the lid off that, I would never stop. Like, if I ever let myself cry, I would never, ever, ever stop. And yeah. she's like, well, that's just biologically impossible. Like, biologically, you can only cry for 28 minutes and 32 seconds, you know? <laughs> So she looked at her watch. We actually still have that much time if you want to have a go. You know? I know. But, it's, it's being so scared to show vulnerability. You've, it's like yeah. we're in a society that that's like such a weakness. But really, there's such, I've learned through recovery is like there's such beauty and vulnerability. I mean, being mm-hmm. perfect, that's boring, right? Like there's, I don't know, it's. But I used to be so, I was just constantly, yeah, hiding, hiding, being so strong, being like the stoic person, just trudging through life, being. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, as you were talking, I jotted something down, and that was this question, like, if someone did give you a compliment, um, did you deflect it and disbelieve it? Because you are like thinking, yeah, well, my hand's in my pocket, you know? Um, oh, by yeah. which I mean, I you know, oh, well, I'm glad I fooled you into thinking I'm pretty and have it together, but I happen to know that, you know, you can't see this hand that I'm hiding. Um, what, oh, did yeah. that always play through when, your mind? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, when somebody would, if somebody would give me a compliment, I mean, yeah, I, I knew better because I just, yeah, I honestly, I just totally wrote myself off. Like I just, it was like, I, my future was gone in my eyes. Like, what was I going to be? Like, and it makes me cry now because, I mean, I have a daughter, and I just think, oh, my God. Right. And, I mean, you hear all these things about self-love and all that stuff, and it sounds so trite and silly, but it's, like, everything. And, unfortunately, when I was young, I just completely hated myself. Oh. That that is heartbreaking, isn't it? Because now, as a mom, you can see yourself as a child in a different way, and you have come a long yeah. way. So I'm really, I think it would be really beneficial to talk about, like, let's connect those dots. How did you, how did you, um, how did you stop drinking? What were like the sort of logistics of that, and then how did you heal? Ah, uh, okay, well. <clears throat> So lots of the same stories. I'm sure a lot of women and a lot of women I've heard talk about it. I woke up again with debilitating anxiety and sweating and feeling horrible and just, it was almost like, I can't even explain it. It was like a higher power or whatever you want to say threw me out of bed and said, if you don't stop this, you're going to die. And I honestly, until that point, did there was no way that I could be an alcoholic. I thought, no, there's no way. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I was completely holding things together for sure. I mean, I always really, I kept a high level of control on myself. I was, you know, my, my house was clean. I had a job. My, 
you know, from the outside looking in, things were good. But when I started to really think about it, I wasn't high functioning at all. I was really like not this on the spectrum. I was feeling nothing either way. I wasn't feeling joy. I wasn't feeling pain. I was just totally numb and completely robotic walking through life. And I mean, I should say that my, like, it's sort of a big part of my story. Um, My husband uh, is considered a incomplete paraplegic. So he, he had a ski accident and um, broke his back. So he struggled. He, so he has obviously challenges every day with that, with that. So there, that's quite a heavy thing in our lives for sure. Um, and then uh, recently he, he had another accident where he completely severed his femur bone and crushed his knee into 12 spots. So we've been, and he's still recovering from that. So it's been pretty tough this last um, seven months for sure. But going back, um, I think when my drinking really amped up was dealing with that too, because when you're dealing with somebody who is pretty severely handicapped at times and can't do the kind of the light things that you want to do as a couple, it's, there is a heaviness that starts to build. And, you know, he is in pain quite, uh, quite a lot and his mood can change and things like that. So, and I just, I don't know, I can't explain why I stopped drinking. I just was so sick of myself. I was sick of feeling sick and feeling depressed and not feeling anything. And I was really, I was using the wine and the drink to feel something. I was constantly looking for a sensation because I just, like being still with myself, I just felt awful. So it sort of, it made me, it gave me that sense of like, oh, for, you know, 15 minutes of fake happiness. And then of course that ends and then you, and then the dread sets in. So that was it. I just, that day I said, I'm going to, I'm not going to drink anymore. And I really just white knuckled it. I would just, didn't really tell anybody and, you know, I sort of told my husband and said, I'm not going to drink anymore. And he was like, okay, yeah, I've heard this before. Because, of course, I would constantly be doing cleanses and things like that. That's why I really didn't think, oh, I can't be an alcoholic. I mean, I can quit drinking for 30 days or this or that. But I would always just go right back to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And don't, don't you find a cleanse of- is really just like inviting the eating <laughs> disorder back in for a little visit? Oh, yeah. And I mean, and the eating disorder definitely reared its head again, just tried to recover from not drinking because it just sort of, the drinking kind of just took its place, right? Yeah, exactly. And I was Whack-a-mole. sort of the queen of, yeah. But so I just, that's it. I just sort of like, I stopped for about, so I went, I stopped drinking for about three months. And I mean, now that I've done quite a bit of recovery work, I do look at myself as being quite a dry drunk during that time. I wasn't really doing much personal work. I was really just trying to make it to the end of the day and not have to, you know, relax at the end of the end of the day with a glass of wine. And then it was at the three months that I was really feeling low that I reached out to you because I was reading, I found your blog and I thought, oh my gosh, 
other people feel like this or they're dealing with this. And I was just so stunned by it. Cause of course we all think we're the only one in the world that is struggling and can't get their shit together. So, and then I reached out to you and you got back to me right away and, and sort of led me to an online support group, which really was huge for me in that first year, just lit, listening to people and, realizing that I wasn't alone like it was it was it was honestly it was like I was given the key to a magic world that I didn't know existed because in my life there was no way that I could go and walk into an AA meeting it just wasn't something that I could see myself doing at the time and I just thought how so I've got this problem but I don't even I don't know what to do like I just you just feel so alone you don't know that you don't realize that there's so many other alternatives to helping people overcome addictions. It was just, it was like, yeah, it was being handed my life. Really. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And it saved my life in a lot of ways. It really empowered you. I feel like you, you were ready for that. You were ready for the next tool. When you yeah. when you quit drinking, yeah. Courtney, did you go through um, physical withdrawal? Did you experience that? Um, uh, probably. I mean, nothing like my like I wasn't. I I can't. I could probably. I mean, I was I was really agitated because mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. course that five o'clock rolls around and you want to, you know, have a glass of wine to sort of end your day because your day's been so crazy yeah so I had to figure out what else to do I sort of stopped cooking I used to be this I used to do these elaborate meals every night where to the point of where I would just become totally resentful because I would work so hard and then really nobody would eat (laughs) or you know kids are like and then so I kind of stopped doing I had to stop kind of doing that because that was when I really wanted to have a glass of wine yeah, a lot um, of people find that. Yeah. Yeah. And I still don't. I think I mean, sometimes I that's why we start doing all the cooking is so that we have an excuse to be drinking while we're cooking. Like, they, they kind of go together for a lot of us. And, um, yeah. yeah, that can be really hard at first. Um, and, oh, shoot, I had a question for you. Oh, relapse. Did you have any experience with relapse? Yeah, I did. So I... So I made it to the summer, and we have we have a cottage, and there a lot of family goes out there, and it's usually a really triggery place for me because there's a lot of people and a lot of loudness, and obviously a lot of socializing and drinking, and and you know there was a point where I thought I can't, I was thinking about drinking so much or not drinking, and then I was you know I'm on the blogs and I'm on the social group, and I thought am I just always going to have to be thinking about this? And I wasn't, I know, I look back now and I really hadn't surrendered to it. I hadn't totally in my mind said to myself that, no, you know, drinking is not no longer a part of your life. Maybe in the back of my mind, I thought maybe I could moderate or do be in control of it again. Mm-hmm. So it was in the summertime that I just really unconsciously, well, I stopped going on to the social group and I stopped sort of corresponding in there and I just thought well I'm just not going to think about it for a while and sure enough like I think a week I just sort of unconsciously just picked up a glass of wine like it wasn't even like I wanted it or I 
was thinking about it, I just did it. And and it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like anything happened. I, had a, I think I had a couple glasses of wine, but I woke up in the morning again, anxiety, that, that familiar, awful, br- brutal feeling, and the shame that was attached to it, just shame, shame, because I just knew the dark cloud was going to enter over my life once again. And I just thought, that's it. I have to surrender to this. And I just really dropped to my knees and really asked, God or whoever is out there to to help me and I'm I'm done I can't I'm not going to do this anymore and then I and so I just passed a year from that point so it was about September 21st so I just passed a year from that relapse yeah Aww. and I never drank yeah, again you you I feel like you really gained speed this year like you really um I mean of course we we correspond like kind of email and social media and stuff and um so it's kind of I can kind of see people lock in even just in terms of like what they're posting or what they're sharing and you've you've recommended some reading to me that I found really really great and um Mm -hmm. and so I just I find it like I don't know it's like you've kind of you've dug in and embraced it and then are reaping the benefits of it because this past year was hard with your husband's accident Mm -hmm. and uh and all of that and um and yet, you know, your sobriety, I think, helped you through it. It didn't hinder you, right? Yeah. Was it, I think he had his accident in, um, in March, so I was probably like three months off that relapse in the summer. But, um, yeah, it was, it was surreal. I remember getting the call, and he said that he'd broken his leg, and, of course, that was super scary because that's the worst thing that can happen because he's already – his muscles have atrophied in his hamstrings and his calf muscles. So to break a leg with his lack of circulation is, like, really, really, really serious. Mm. So I thought, oh, my God, here we go. But, you know, if I did, if I wasn't doing recovery, I would have, I don't know what would have happened to me. I would have gone down the rabbit hole so far. I mean, and I just really, honestly, I took it like minute by minute, day by day, tried to do the next right thing. I really just, you know, tried to hold it together for everybody because it was just, you know, I, I had to, he was just totally helpless. I was bathing him. I was moving him from here to there. And then obviously I have two little kids that I'm trying to keep the lightness going for them, but also trying to keep it calm for for their dad. So it was, you know, it was a really, it was really heavy and we're still, and I'm still, you know, we're still kind of in it right now, mm-hmm. but, you know, we had a conversation a while ago and he just kind of said to me, you know, I feel like you're real, you're sort of like cold and, you know, like, do you, do you love me? Do you love me still? And I, you know, and I said like, cause I was, I was really, really robotic because I just, I had, it was the only, it's all I could really do. Right. Because I realized if I go down, then we're we're all going down here. So, so I were you on like autopilot bad. kind of? Yeah, totally autopilot. Yeah. And to see your partner like fragile like that mentally and physically, it's just it's it's not a it's not fun <laughs> to mm-hmm, say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, and it's sort of the the heaviness of the responsibility sort of weighs on your shoulders. But there were so many times I thought about when I wasn't doing well and I thought, and I thanked God and I was so grateful that I was 
in the place that I am now because it just it would have been a disaster. Yeah. Because right. of course I would have been needing to numb out <laughs> big time. And yeah. I you know, and you still need to numb out but there but I do other things, right? Healthy things. And what do you do? Well so How do you numb well, out I now? Exercise, I exercise every day. So usually I, I do it around six in the morning. I go for a run or I do a spin class or something for my body and I'm and I always, usually if I'm outside, I'm always listening. I always listen to podcasts. I'm always listening to stuff constantly because it just, again, that's a huge thing because it's not so easy to sit down and read all the time for me because I'm so busy. So it's nice to just be able to plug in something that you can listen to from here to there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm always, even though I don't post a lot on the social media group, I'm always checking in in there because it really puts things in huge perspectives for me because I know where I could have gone or and I know where I've been because it doesn't matter what how bad the story got or what have you I see myself in every woman that struggles because I can I just feel their pain so so strongly I just I just know that desperate feeling and so that helps me really. Like I just, it helps to see each other's pain. I think to keep yourself, mm-hmm. to know you're not alone, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's the because it, all of these things are all about being alone, like a secret eating disorder, and like just all the different ways that we isolate, trying to protect ourselves yeah. from being hurt. But the isolation hurts us in the end. And, yeah. and then connection yeah. is such a big part of healing. I mean, we hear that again and again. Um, what are some of your favorite podcasts? Uh, well, I, you know, I love Rich Roll. He's my favorite. He really, um, I don't know if anyone's, from, like I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with him, but he's, he's, he's a person in long-term recovery, I think like 22 years. And he's obviously the, he's this ultra athlete and vegan. So he talks a lot about nutrition and and um, physical stuff, but he interviews a lot of really, really interesting people, like outliers, and just, I just learned so much from that podcast, and he has this beautiful wife, who's this spiritual guru, and she has another one of her, her own podcast, it's called Divine Through Lines, and I really like hers as well, because it just sort of, they really balance each other out, but and, you know, it's interesting because when I listen to these podcasts, all these cool people and amazing people, usually at the end you find out that they're sober. And I just think, yeah. wow, like there's just so many of us out there that are, you know, it's, yeah, it's just really cool. I love that one. Obviously the bubble hour. That was when I first got sober. I was listening to that religiously all the time. And I still do. I've listened to every single one of those. I love home, home podcasts. I love those two girls. They're great. And That's since right now, I really Laura like those guys too. Yeah. Sorry, which one? Since right now. Since right now. Since right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've yeah, got they a have funny like, perspective. And that three guys that do since right now. Um, so it's kind of nice three to get a guy's perspective on that. And then they have like a whole network of of different bloggers that are podcasting through since right now, like. Maggie from Sober Courage is podcasting now, yeah. and there's there's kind of a whole bunch of them. It's really, it's really exploded. It's such a powerful tool. I, oh, I it know. is huge. 
My my and poor really little like dogs that. are pretty. I walked their legs off the first few years of just. I would just go for these long walks and listen to podcasts and. And um, my dogs would be, like, dragging along because they were so tired. But <laughs> I was like, no, we've got to keep going. There's more to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, you and I had kind of a powerful moment. So when I travel, I I always try and connect, you know, like try to see who I can connect with. And so it just so happened that not that long ago, you and I happened to be traveling in the same area and managed to meet up, which was really, really cool. And mm-hmm. shortly before that um, was the first time I'd heard about your hand. And you, uh, through um, one of our social media groups, you'd written something about your hand. And I was like, God, you know what? I have, uh, I lost two fingers on my right hand. And, and one of them was successfully reattached, although it, it doesn't look good. And the other one was amputated. And so I, too, since I was five years old, have been hiding my right hand from people, from view. And yeah. also, I think I think for both of us, it was in discussing that we both kind of had an aha moment of really realizing how predictably that played into the trajectory of eating disorders and anxiety and um, and eventually addiction for both of us. Like almost, you know, we haven't had identical lives, but very very similar paths. Um, in terms of that, and um, you know, we're different ages, and we live in different areas, and yet, you know, a similar, a similar, somewhat minor body issue. I mean, it's not a health issue. It's it's not uh, a disfigurement that is, you know, um, super horrible. I mean, compared to what some people you know, mm-hmm. have a really difficult hand so you know if you had to pick like here's a list of problems that people could be either born with or have put upon them I mean this is you know a hand impairment is a fairly small thing and yet for both of us we shared the same thing so it was kind of powerful for for me to find out that you and I had that in common and then when we met um, we had this interesting moment where um do you remember this? Where I was like, okay, we're having lunch. I was like, let's both put our right hands on the table where each other can see them and hold them there for 30 seconds. <laughs> because we both spent and our whole life that. hiding. Right? And, yeah, and so it was almost like a trust exercise for both of us. And that was really hard for me to do. Was it hard for you? Yeah, it was really hard. Um, yeah, I don't. And yeah, it still is hard. Sometimes I look at my hand and I just think, oh, oh, right, I've got that. You know, I sort of forget about it. Yeah, yeah. And when I do yoga, one of my um, they always say at the beginning, set your intention for this class. And my intention is always to inhabit my whole body because I tend to pull all of myself up into my chest and I live like from my chest up and I ignore my hands because I don't like my hands or my feet or my thigh, you know, or my squishy belly or whatever parts aren't perfect anymore or never were perfect or somehow. And, and for me, a big part of recovery and yoga has been a good tool for this has been like climbing down from my chest and getting down into all parts of my body and accepting all these little icky bits as me and and loving them for 
the gift of mobility and, you know, for the good things they do for me every day. I mean, you know, my belly gave me three children. It should it should get some gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. And that's – but so knowing that and knowing that, you know, five years of sobriety, I've been working on this stuff, and it was still so hard to hold my hand on the table. And, and now. Um, now. What allowed me to do it was that I was holding space for you to do the same thing, and I took courage from you. And it was, I don't know, for me that was a really powerful moment and a really um, a good sign for both of us that we could both do that for ourselves and for each other. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah, and, that, and that's been a lot of just recovery for me, like doing things like that and realizing, you know, the world isn't going to come crashing down. And I'm not going right. to die, <laughs> like, with the anxiety <laughs> that that sort of brings, you know. It would be like, I remember, oh, just even if my daughter was having a problem or if she was, you know, they, I would just future trip to these awful places of, like, oh, my God, you know, like, I'm, she's not going to have any friends or, like, it just awful, awful stuff. Mm-hmm. So I really have had to learn to just, like, let the wave let roll the wave over me roll. and know that it'll pass, you know? Yeah, right. That's really been everything. Just stay up on top of it and let it go. Twice now you've had brief meetups with other women in recovery. So you've been been recovering solo um, and using online stuff primarily for your support and engagement. But just as fate would have it, there's the time you met up with myself and then there's another girl um, in our online group who you were able to connect with for an afternoon or an evening or something. Um, what was that like? How did, how is it different um, in real life? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's surreal because you sort of, we kind of are these mysterious um, characters to each other, like over the phone or online. So to meet each other in person, and to really see, look into the other person's eyes and realize we're just all on this journey together, and you know we're like the same people. It's 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 really amazing. It really it you know fills my heart up for sure. It helps. I wish I could do more one-on-one stuff, but I'm just you know with having a young family and everything else that is going on, it's hard. It's hard mm-hmm. to get together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do you do think live that in a small town so. It's yeah, Sorry. and did that? You live in a small town, and so, you know, for a lot of people, they feel like that's the reason why they can't walk into a meeting. But do mm-hmm. you feel like if you got to where you felt like, you know, what I can't do it on my own? Do you feel like the connections you've made would give you the courage to walk into a meeting, knowing that the kind of camaraderie you find in recovery and just knowing the acceptance that's there like has your perspective on that shifted a little bit yeah I mean I'm not against a meeting for sure I just don't see myself doing it in my community but um I tried tried to go to a meeting when I was in Hawaii once so I tried to go online and I tried to like search out a woman's meeting, but it was pretty complicated and then it just sort of overwhelmed me and I just didn't do it. But I would love to do something like that because it would be fun to meet people like that are 
like-minded and that are sort of on the same journey because I do feel pretty isolated where I am. Like I am sort of just kind of on the island alone doing this, but like that's okay too. I'm all right with that because I do, I feel I have enough support in other areas, but it would be nice to, you know, go for a walk or take a yoga class with somebody maybe that's sort of doing the same things, but yeah, I'm just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. I find the same thing. I, there's a few people in my community who I know are sober and I know I can reach out to and like we talk the same language. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really do see like that social piece as being like one of the greatest benefits for people that do go to meetings and are in 12 step is like, even if they don't agree with the whole philosophy or whatever, um, it really does give them a community that has their back in pretty powerful ways. Yeah. Um, okay, we're starting to run low on time, and I just wonder, like, is there is there any final thoughts? Or knowing that you know, listening to podcasts like this one were so helpful to you, like, what words do you have for someone who's listening who is hurting and struggling and feeling alone and and listening today, hoping to hear something encouraging? What what would your heart say to them? Mm. Oh, just, it's so worth it. Like, just keep going. And I always think that the first two weeks is the absolute worst. And But once you sort of get beyond that, it's all of a sudden something starts opening up and really magic starts entering into your life, truly. I mean, it's, just such a gift really to be able to even go through recovery. I mean, I wish everybody could do recovery steps because it's just such a huge thing for just living a full life. So just keep going and reach out for help. There's so many, there's, you know, podcasts, blogs, there's so many of us out there that are feeling the exact same way and, and you're not, you're never going to regret it. So just keep going and listen to your listen to your gut is what I would say. Awesome. You know what you need to do. Yeah, you know. You hear that voice in your heart. You know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. How are you feeling now? Are you feeling I, – I know you were nervous ahead of time. How are you feeling now? You feel good? Oh, I don't know. I probably sound so jumbled. I don't I'm, – I'm, I sort of go all over the map, so I worry that hopefully it all made sort of some sense. No, it's all good. It's a, it's an interesting map. It's good to cover lots of it. So you are you're great, and your story is powerful. And and I'm grateful that you, despite not not feeling super comfortable about it, that you you um were willing to be helpful to our listeners by being on today. And so thank you so much, Courtney. And um, you're welcome. Just thanks for all the things that you shared, and and um, I really just hope that you could just continue to grow and flourish and I also hope your husband speedy has a speedy recovery um, because I know it's been a really rough year for him and for all of you Mm -hmm. yeah so thank you so don't don't hang up I'm going to have you stay on the line and listeners if you heard something in Courtney's story that spoke to you and you'd like to send her a message of thanks or have a question for her email it to me at thebubblehour at gmail.com and I'll make sure that she gets your message So thank you, everyone, for listening. My name is Jean. You can read my story at unpickledblog.com. You can read many, many other stories of recovery at cryingoutnow.com. 
And please know that this podcast is supported by the not-for-profit organization ShiningStrong.org. So everyone, thank you for listening, and until next time, take good care. <laughs> I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power, weakness head on. Free.